You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of scary stories to tell in the dark. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see haunted house? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my god. Augie! Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. I'm afraid that we woke something up. You shouldn't have taken the book. We've got to stop it. Sarah Bellows' book. Where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. The Jangling Man is coming. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for scary stories to tell in the dark, and the story is as follows. The shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large in the small town of Mill Valley for generations. It's in a mansion that young Sarah Bellows turns her tortured life and horrible secrets into a series of scary stories. These terrifying tales soon have a way of becoming all too real for a group of unsuspecting teens who stumble upon Sarah's spooky home. The film is starring Zoe Coletti, Michael Garza, Gabriel Rush, Austin Adams, Dean Norris, Gil Bellows, and Lorraine Toussaint. It is directed by Andre Avradal, and it is written by Dan Hageman and Kevin Hageman. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. All right, Josh. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Mm, yes. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Very scary. <laughs> so scary. <laughs> Josh, I have one question to ask you. What is that one question, Matt? Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> Remember that show on Nickelodeon at night? Snick? They called it like Nick at Night because it was on Saturday nights. Oh, I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark. It was one of my favorites. You know, I, I'll admit, this movie, maybe I'm just like an anomaly with this one because I had no familiarity with the children's book that this is based on. I never read it. I didn't even know it was based on a book. 
to tell you the truth. I just thought this was going to be just another horror movie <laughs> that was released like in the middle of bumblefuck nowhere of the year, you know? So I went into this not knowing also that it's PG-13 and that it is targeted at teens. So my experience with watching this movie was one of complete surprise, misplaced expectation. And I got to say, Josh, I kind of don't like it. And, you know, a lot of people are probably going to take issue with this because they're going to say, well, you know, if you had read the book, you know, you would probably appreciate a lot more. And they would say stuff like that. And I mean, like, okay, maybe, maybe if I had that nostalgic attachment to the book, Maybe I could appreciate it a little bit better seeing these stories come alive on screen. And the way that they do come alive on screen, I will admit sometimes, is indeed interesting. We'll definitely get into it here. Um, That's my backstory, though, with uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Josh, what did you ultimately think of this one now? Well, I would actually say that like you, Matt, I had very little familiarity with these stories. I remember them slightly from my childhood, but I don't really remember them in a lot of great detail. So walking into this movie, I, like you, was going in with kind of very low or no expectations, actually. And I walked out the film, I think maybe liking it just a tad more than you did, but I do understand that the film doesn't really come together in the way that I wanted it to. I think that there is something to appreciate about this film that does try to aim itself at teenagers and trying to do so in a way that isn't pandering to them. I actually did like that a lot because so many horror films these days that are PG-13 are just really boring and stupid. And I don't think this one is. I think this one actually is very interesting in the imagery that it creates and the story it's trying to tell. The actual like bare bones of the story I don't think is very interesting. And the ending really kind of ruins it for me. It, it really kind of dismantles the whole thing. But while I was watching it, I was fairly entertained, especially considering the audience that I think this film is aimed at. And it's not a bad movie. It's not really all that great either. But I think that for what it's trying to do, it's overall successful. Yeah, I could give you that, I suppose. Yeah. I mean... There are certain things about this movie I do enjoy. I'm not entirely negative on this. I just think the things that it does not get right are pretty big. And they do hinder the entire experience for me overall. But there are individual aspects of this that I did quite enjoy very, very much, Josh. You know, it's funny. You talk about the demographic and the the audience that this movie is aimed uh, towards. The line I've been using when people are asking me, oh, you know, like, you know, scary stories and to tell in the dark. Like, what's your take on it? I, my, my immediate, you know, thing I tell uh, friends, family who have been asking me is it's basically for kids that are too old for goosebumps, but they're too young for it. Yeah, I think that's a very apt description of this because it isn't like so bubbly and kitty like, especially the Goosebumps movies have been. But it definitely does not get into very graphic territory as some of the more like R-rated films do. But I also would give it credit for being at least willing to go into the somewhat disturbing imagery that it has. Because I think the creature design in this 
is really effective. That That's one of my positives. Yeah. So like the set pieces themselves, uh, we're talking the Red Room, the Zit, the Toe, right? The Haunted House, all these different elements, right? The, 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 the gangly creature thing. I don't even know what they call that. Well, like, yeah, I, I know it has a name, but... I think it's but the gangly man. I think it is. The gangly man? Yeah. yeah like all of that, awesome. Really well done, partly because uh, this film is produced by Guillermo del Toro. And I do have to believe that there is uh, some influence there in terms of going for a practical effects look with this as opposed to heavy on the CGI. And I think that that definitely helps. The moments where this movie does use CGI, I think, are pretty awful and unconvincing. And it's the moments where the movie really leans into practical effects that are shot in camera that I think that the movie succeeds in its realism while while not pushing it to the point of gore, like a gore fest. You know, uh, like you said, it's still aimed at teens at the end of the day or tweens even maybe, whatever the case might be. And as a result of which, I think that those elements are genuinely pretty creepy and really convincing. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that those like individual set pieces are definitely the highlights of the film. And I think for me, I'm willing to give maybe those sequences a little bit more weight than I normally would, simply because it's kind of what you want to see the movie for. So even though there's other elements of the film, mainly in its story, that I found pretty unconvincing, and on a story level, yes, those are very big things to get wrong. At the same time, I come to a movie called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark for the scary moments in it. And I think it actually does handle those individual moments really, really well. And I think a lot better than many of its contemporaries that are aimed at this kind of audience get to do. Now, in all honesty, Josh, seriously, were you really scared while watching this at all? Well, I don't really get like actually scared at movies too much anymore. Oh, oh, I do. <laughs> like I, I do have genuine moments where if I'm really, really scared, like I'm anticipating the jump scare, I will like look away from the screen or, you know, maybe put my <laughs> put my fingers over my ears to just prepare myself for the duh, you know, moment that's about to come. <laughs> yeah. Well, jump scares I have a different feeling on. I don't really find jump scares to be scary. I just find them to be Startling. Uh, all right, noises. we're gonna get into this debate. We're gonna get into this debate. <laughs> what yeah. is scary? <laughs> yeah, I mean, jump scares are a whole other thing. I mean, I think it's pretty. I think pre people know from years of listening to me on the podcast, they know the thing that scares me the most is stuff that's based more within reality, and so stuff like, you know, hereditary or it comes at night. You know, when we're talking about like human behavior and nature and like what we are capable of doing to each other under duress or uh, fear, whatever it might be like that, that shit scares me. But this stuff, you know, it's it's filmmaking, you know, exactly. <laughs> and I wouldn't say that I was necessarily scared throughout this film, but I was creeped out by a lot of the stuff I was watching. I think really mostly uh, there is this one sequence involving that scarecrow that the resolution of that scene did genuinely creep me out. It was actually very kind of disturbing to watch this in a movie that was aimed at a, you know, younger audience. I found that to be incredibly disturbing, but also incredibly I, I think that's the thing. I think I need to place myself in the mindset of my 13 year old self, I think. And I believe if I can do that, 
I would appreciate some of this a little bit more. But yeah, like that Scarecrow uh, scene that you're alluding to, I'm watching it and I'm saying to myself, like, the CGI is just so unconvincing to me and I'm not really feeling it, you know? And I'm more distracted and pulled out of the movie by that than I am, like, genuinely horrified as to what's happening to, like, this poor kid. Well, I don't even know if he's a poor kid. Well, I, actually, that's another thing I wanted to say really quickly. I, other than the lead uh, character of this film, uh, Stella, there is no one in this movie that I found likable. Well, there's nobody <laughs> in the film that really has any level of characterization either. Like, I really could not tell you anything more about these characters other than very basic things about them. And that is definitely a hindrance to getting really into the film, that the character work just really isn't there for the majority of the people here. And yeah, it's something that I can't really defend that much from the film. But I think at the same time, even though it's not really that well worked on, I think it at least gives me enough to attach myself within the world of this movie that I can kind of go along with it. It's not the most deep explorations you're going to get, but I think it's like just enough to get by. You get like this racist cop, uh, Gil Bellows, who, yeah, you know, all right, his last name is Bellows. I'm sure he really, really wanted to be a part of this uh, story. You know, I get it. But you have that. You have Dean Norris fucking breaking bad completely wasted in this yeah that that was uh that was a shame and i just like he has a scene then that's supposed to be like this emotionally cathartic scene between him and his daughter towards the end over the phone and i'm just like man like give the guy at least something more than three minutes of screen time before you give me this scene like where's the relationship drama you know it was like completely absent from the movie and then they just throw this in there at the end come on yeah that scene lacked a lot of like building blocks to get there i mean dean norris is good in that moment he's a very good actor and he sells that performance very well but the way that we got to that scene felt like we were kind of missing something for it to really hit us in the way that it needed to yeah Definitely agree with that. Uh, one thing I did appreciate, though, about the storytelling very, very much that I really, really, you know, this actually kind of saved the movie for me from being like a total outright disaster was I love the Vietnam allegory that weaves its way through the story. Yeah. Although at a certain point, it did start to get a little on the nose. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I think by that point, my expectations were just so, so low for this movie that I, I just admired that the film at least had a thorough line going through it, you know? Oh, sure. But there is like one moment when somebody on the radio says something about like, oh, the war is going on and we're sending our children to die. And that, you know, that moment was like, OK, I, I get it. <laughs> well, because that's the whole point of this, right, is that uh, death is inevitable and that we're all going to die. And one by one, each one of the kids keeps getting killed by these stories. And, you know, this is not the kind of movie where they're going to magically come back or something, you know, at the end. Well, uh, well but no, but there's they kind of leave the door open maybe for them to come back. I don't, yeah, that's the other thing, too. Like, the way this movie just ends, my God, you want to talk about, like, we got to wrap this up. Oh, my Lord. How quickly this movie wraps up really annoyed the ever-living crap out of me. And then for the movie to end with the ultimate takeaway, and I hate it when movies do this. I hate it when movies actually state what the lesson learned is, either through 
um, dialogue and especially through voiceover. Oh my God, do I hate that. And it happens here over voiceover. And the big takeaway at the end of this movie, Josh, is I learned never to give up. And it's like, well, I don't understand. Death is inevitable. It's not even a matter of giving up. You're going to have to face it eventually and you're going to lose. So like, what is, what is going on here with this story? You know? Yeah. The ending to me really does a lot to kind of undo much of the goodwill that it was building up for me. And I really cannot defend the ending at all. I think that it does really spell everything out in a very simplistic way. And like you said, Matt, it offers messages that are even for the audience that it is aimed at feel very simplistic and uncomplicated and just really does a disservice to I think a lot of the good things that they were working with up until that point and I do agree with you the ending to me really kind of is a mess and I don't like it at all yeah I mean I would have preferred instead of a simplistic never give up message um say something actually well don't say anything at all let the audience figure it out but let the audience like come and kind of walk away from this instead thinking about how even though we have to fight so so hard to eventually you know put off death for as, as just as long as we can you know i mean whether you're dealing with an illness or whatever it is you know Maybe maybe you're dodging bullets like Neo in the Matrix, you know? Who knows, you know? Whatever's going on in your life. Or, like, have an ending that can look to optimism, but I think this movie puts just a little bit too much sunshine at the end of it, and I don't necessarily need a downer ending, but I think I needed one with a little bit more... Nuance, pathos, gravitas, anything. I I would say nuance (laughs) is what I was really looking for out of that ending, and... The movie was capable of it, and that, that's the thing. Like, It's not like it was a movie that was dealing with very simplistic ideas all the way through. I think it had the potential to give us an ending that had that nuance, but it decided not to do that for some reason, and that was disappointing. There was a part of me, too, that also felt like the way that the movie handled its female characters was also very <laughs> uh, counterproductive as well, because obviously in the movie, Stella is... Uh, seen as this very, very bright horror fanatic. I love that she's a writer, too. Like, she's a creative person, takes charge of everything. She's the one who figured it, figures out what's going on and stuff. She's a great character for young audiences to really look up to, I think, in this. And I really, really like everything about how her character is written. But then there's all this stuff about Sarah Bellows and... What exactly is the mystery behind what happened to her? And then the movie, it goes back to this thing with Dean Norris again over the phone, where Dean Norris and um, uh, the uh, off-screen mother that we never ever see uh, is uh, separated, right? So Stella's parents are both, uh, I, I guess, divorced or whatever it might be. And he basically says, oh, honey, it's not. it wasn't your fault. It was her fault. Like completely wiping the slate clean from any guilt from him. And I just was like, so does this movie like women? Does it hate women? Like what what is going on here? I think that's more of a symptom of the movie just kind of being lazy and just doing a bit of hand waving to be like, okay, here's the emotional moment that relieves the guilt that the main character feels that she can be alleviated from that. 
I don't even think the movie really has a deeper understanding about its relationship to female characters. Maybe I'm, I'm sure. just giving you way too much credit. Like I said, I went into this expecting something totally different. And if I had gone in with this anticipation of, yeah, Matt, it's a children's story. Just put yourself in the mindset of a kid, you know, while you watch it. I probably wouldn't have been able to walk away with it like saying, all right, don't think too hard about that. All very surface level. Gotcha. Good. Let's <laughs> let's call it a night. <laughs> we mentioned it earlier. It is sort of like watching an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And when you watch that show, especially if you watch it now, you're going to see stuff that, you know, was a little cheesy, a little corny. It's not really that scary, but if you kind of just imagine the audience that it's going for and also comparing it to stuff that usually that audience gets, you know, I I think that there's enough here that are kind of like moments that you can kind of get into and, but it certainly doesn't excuse the deficiencies in the storytelling. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean like the movie, like I said, the movie does some things for sure that I really, really like, but then there's other things too. Um, I, I got to say, like, I think the dialogue at times is pretty atrocious, all things considered. And some of the acting in this, like I said, outside of uh, really outside of uh, Zoe Coletti in this, I, I, I man, I, I, I don't know, because I really didn't like Dean Norris that much. I didn't like Gil Bellows, um, the kid, the other kids, like they, the kid that plays Ramon in this. Oh, my God. He had like no expressions whatsoever for any of his line readings, I felt like. Then you have the kid playing Chuck, who I think is being overly expressive and is trying to be like the character who's, you know, comic relief and hogging up the scenery in certain moments. And it just came off as unbelievable and incredibly fake to me. I think that I would not say that any of these other performances really impressed me. But I think at the same time, they didn't really bother me as much as they did for you. I I don't know. I think maybe it's just an expectation thing that me kind of settling into what I figured this movie was going to be. I guessed that I wasn't going to be watching performances that were going to like light the screen up for me. And I think that, yeah, not everybody is great in the film, certainly. But I think for me, I was just sort of willing to go with it and be like, okay, we're in this kind of story. Yeah, the acting's not that great, but it's just sort of a means to an end to get to the next uh, set piece. And those set pieces are so well done that I think I was able to forgive some of the acting choices. Josh, I don't mean to put you in the spotlight like this, <laughs> but as 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 a black man, mm-hmm. what did you think of that scene? Yeah, I've been uh, seeing some some rumblings about this, and you know. It's certainly there. Um, there is certainly an element of you know what is commonly known as the the magical Negro trope, where this black character will come in and provide exposition or background and like kind of solve a lot of these um, pieces of the puzzle for mostly white characters. And it's definitely there. Um, and I think what I will say at least about the film is that it's a very brief moment. It isn't taking up too much time for the film and it's over pretty quickly. And I think at least for me getting the opportunity to watch Lorraine Toussaint on screen is always going to be something that I'm going to take. So it is one of those moments where yes, it is a crutch and it could have been executed better, but I think the movie doesn't linger on it too much and make it all this big of a deal for me to really be that upset with it. I understand other people are and they're totally valid in that, but 
I think for me, because the movie kind of just utilizes it, but then quickly moves away from it, it didn't bother me that much. Yeah, that scene definitely was something that I had to roll my eyes at while I was watching it on screen. And of course, when I saw people bringing it up on social media, I immediately was like, yep, 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 of course. But a part of me also wondered too, how much of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark do you think is intended to be a bit of a throwback to those old tropes that really don't belong that much in 2019 anymore, but did belong uh, during uh, the time era that the stories themselves, um, you know, were read by this generation, um, you know, like, like, you know, like a 19, uh, like a 1980s uh, kind of mentality, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's an interesting point to bring up. And I can imagine some people saying that's not a good explanation, but I think it's one that you can attach to this film. Although I do want to say something, speaking of you saying like it's supposed to be a throwback a little bit. I did not feel like this movie accurately felt like it took place in 1968 or whatever. It No, God no. It really felt oddly contemporary to me. And whenever they would do something that specifically was to that time period, like you know, going to the drive-in or seeing all these old cars, it did not feel realistic to me. It always felt very jarring. And I, you know, I get that this movie is aiming for a contemporary audience, obviously, but I almost wondered like the only reason to set it for this time period is because of the Vietnam war. But I also feel like you could have worked around that because obviously we still have military conflicts going on right now. And I think that there is a way to still update this film, even in a modern setting, because clearly, at least to me, the filmmaking did not really evoke the time period that they were set in. You know what it was, Josh, in all honesty, it was a bunch of guys sitting around a table saying, Stranger Things and It are doing so well right now. We need this to be in the past. We need it to be nostalgic. We need to prey on people's emotions and their nostalgia. This will be brilliant. Yeah, but that nostalgia is from like the 80s. Why on earth go back to the 60s if you're not going to at least make it feel like it's from that period? I don't know. It just felt like a very odd Well, because of the Vietnam War connection, like you said. Yeah, I, I think that's really the only reason to do it. And I just wish that if they had done, that since they were going to do this, that they justified it more than just the Vietnam War stuff. I wish that the actual like filmmaking behind it evoked that time period better. All right. Final thoughts at this point, uh, because I was just thinking about this uh, a minute ago. And one thing that I did not get a chance to really bring up was. The movie takes a little while to get going. Kind of starts off with like this mischievous prank on Halloween night with the kids. That's kind of dumb, honestly. And it really, really takes a while before the first actual scary set piece really, really kicks in. To the point that I didn't even really know what kind of a movie we were watching (laughs) at first (laughs) when it started. And then I feel like the movie just has this really interesting pace then throughout where it does kind of go with the more patient route if you will um scenes are definitely built up very very well i i would say like certain scenes like for example like the pale lady i think is really really good oh yeah i think that might be my favorite scene in the film i think it is mine too uh the whole thing with them in the red room and uh it's 
really, really, I, I think that that is really fantastic stuff here. Yeah, the way that they play with the idea of her just walking down those hallways and when you turn, she's just in front of you again, moving closer. Like, that's a... See, very- like, that's genuinely frightening to me. Something yeah. that's walking towards you like that. I mean, that's why, like, It Follows, I think, is so effective on me personally. Yeah, the idea that you just would turn around and then somebody just keeps walking in front of you, towards you, and they just keep getting closer and closer. That is a genuinely frightening idea. Uh, visit scene would have scared me more if I was in high school and had bad acne. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that I would have had actual nightmares about something like that. Uh, now, not really, <laughs> but back then, sure. So I guess that was effective. And the jangly man is a def- is definitely a really well realized creature. I I feel like, and I think that that uh design and the way that he moves and how relentless he is uh in his actions and his movements, I think, is really effective as well. So overall, I didn't hate this movie but i can't say that i necessarily enjoyed this movie the same way that so many other people uh have expressed i think a lot of that is maybe maybe just they're giving it a pass you know because i've even heard people say to me oh you're being like a sour puss about this it's not all that bad and i'm like no that's pretty bad (laughs) like at times it's pretty bad that dialogue is rough yeah, it can be bad, but I think I would say that to the idea that like people would be giving this a pass, I don't think it's necessarily quite that. But what I was, I think what I would say is that this movie is something that I think you kind of have to have an expectation of what it is actually trying to be. Yeah, and I think that if you go in expecting to see something like it, for instance, which can be a very great horror premise while also doing this really interesting character work. This movie isn't going to do that. And that's exactly what I thought I was getting into when I sat down for this, to be honest with you. Sure. But I also think the movie doesn't have ambitions to be that either. And I think sometimes it's okay to have a different set of expectations on a film that isn't trying to be something that you have in your own previous expectation for. And I think that for me, I was able to forgive some of those other elements that normally I would be a little bit more harsher on because I felt like this film really was mainly attempting to provide a an enjoyable, entertaining fright fest for a particular kind of audience. And I think for me, especially watching so many movies that are aimed at this audience that I absolutely hated, that probably helped a little bit for this movie too. And I think it's an example for me where the whole is kind of greater than the sum of its parts. There's individual stuff that I don't really like, but there's enough of the kind of meat to the film that I think does a really effective job that I'm a little bit more positive on it than you are. Totally fair. Totally fair. Like I said, and I preface by saying at the beginning of this, um, I think that, you know, I've had a very interesting experience watching this that not others had. I think more people are more aligned with you, Josh, than with me on this one. And maybe, maybe I might revisit this someday. Highly doubtful. But I now knowing what it is would be curious to see if my uh, opinion on it changed. Because like I said, once I settled into the groove of it and I finally like realized, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Because I, I will tell you, the first like 20 minutes especially, 
I kept thinking that it was going to, you know, eventually turn up a notch and it never did. And all I was then focusing on at that point was some really weak dialogue, some very odd acting and some rushed plot points that, like I said, like I, I admire the Vietnam allegory more than I actually like it like how it's actually kind of weaved in. Um, but, you know, I was able I was able to take in the, the good with with the bad, if, you know, so it's not all bad. It's not all bad. I, I, I think people are listening to what I'm saying. and They're probably overreacting. Uh, but I would give this one personally because um, it's like a mixture of like, you know, good and bad. But ultimately, I wasn't really that high on it. I'll, I'm going with a four. I'm going to go with a four, four out of ten for me. OK. What about you? Um. I'm going to actually land on a 6 out of 10. Um, okay. There's enough in here that I found entertaining enough that it sort of made up for the stuff that, yeah, was a little bit of a slog, was kind of corny. Uh, this is a type of movie that if people still watched cable <laughs> anymore, I would say, like, wait till it's on cable. But now I guess it's replaced by wait till it's on, like, Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's kind of like one of those movies where – if you got nothing to do on a Saturday night and you're flipping through your streaming service and you see this pop up, you know, it, it's it's a nice way that you could spend like, you know, an hour and what, like 40 minutes at home. I, I think it's that kind of a movie. And I will say this too, uh, the director Andre Overdell's uh, previous work, Troll Hunter and the Autopsy of Jane Doe. Those are awesome streaming yeah. titles. Very good movies. Yeah. Especially Troll Hunter. I love Troll Hunter. Troll Hunter was one of those things where I will never forget. My friend came out to me and he was like, yo, you got to watch this movie called Troll Hunter. And I was like, what the what? <laughs> like, is that a is that a joke? Tro- you know, because I'm thinking the word troll, you know, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, are you trolling me, bro? And he's like, no, no. And he's like, this is this is pretty amazing. He's like, <laughs> like he was really, really into it. And so I, I, I watched it with friends and I was like, this is so much fun. <laughs> this is fantastic. And then of course, autopsy of Jane Doe came out and I was like, Oh, really, really solid work. I'm, you know? Uh, and so naturally I went into this really, really excited. And like I said, I, I think Josh, if I do put myself in the mindset of that kid, that young Matt Neglia, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm talking, this is like pre-cinephile Matt Neglia. Sure. You know, like this is young, impressionable Matt Neglia over here. I think that I would probably be in the six or seven category as well, along with you there. Well, it's like you said, Matt, I, I think that the description you had about uh, an audience that's too old for Goosebumps, but too young for it, I think is a very perfect way to describe the audience that this movie is aimed at. And I think if you can watch this movie with those kinds of expectations, I think that you can find enough out of this movie to enjoy despite the shortcomings in other areas. Yeah. And, and I mean, granted, I did find things, you know, they're there. Uh, but overall, I can't help how I feel. And how I felt walking out of this was I, I genuinely felt like oh, that was that was kind of a waste for me. A little yeah, bit. I get it. I mean, like, even for me, I'm not giving it a high recommendation. You know, it's still a mixed review for me. But I think I can just appreciate the positives out of this movie just a little bit more. Cool. Yeah, man. Hey, you know, every now and then, it's fun to have the opposing viewpoint. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Alrighty. Josh, where can I find you on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate all of your feedback and your support, which you can lend over if you go to Patreon. $1 minimum a month under Next Best Picture. We'll get you some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.